The pass of Sterling Moss is an enormous loss to the world of motorsport. He was the most dynamic, the most charismatic racing driver I think that there's ever been. He walked like a racing driver, he talked like a racing driver, and he looked like a racing driver. And of course he never did win the World Championship only because he always wanted to drive a British car. And at that time the Italians and the Germans were all powerful. But the loss of Sterling Moss to the world of motorsport is a great, a great loss. And really for me, he was my ultimate hero. He just did the right thing the right way and carried the sport and of Britain in a very majestic fashion. That was Sir Jackie Stewart commenting on the passing of Sir Sterling Moss uh, this past week. First off, welcome to the Formation Lap. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. And uh, we welcome you with heavy hearts that uh, one, of the, one of the legends of the sport has died. Sir Sterling Moss has passed. He was 90 years old, uh, carried with him 212 race wins across several categories in the 519 races he entered. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always tough to, uh, to lose a legend like this. I mean, uh, this, we lost Nikki Lauda and Charlie Whiting in, the, in this you know, probably calendar year. I think it's, we're not, we're not even to that point yet. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it hurts. To, last 13 months. Yeah. yeah. Cause Charlie was at the very, very beginning in Australia yeah. in 2019. That came as just an utter shock. Uh, Nikki as well. Everyone expected him to make a full recovery from his uh, procedure that he had done his uh, lung transplant. And, uh, that was that was a big shock too. Um, Sterling lived a, a really great long life, um, you know. It, and uh, you know, at least with him, you know, you know, the time wasn't cut short. And if there was anybody to make a better chance of at every opportunity of living life, it was Sterling. Absolutely. And one of the things that really just kind of sucks about the time we're in outside of the obvious, I mean, you're listening to pandemic cast episode, I think five. Um, but one of the things about this era in formula one is um, all of those racers who, you know, had these stories, you know, your Jackie Stewart's, your Sterling Mosses, your Nikki Lauda's, you know, they're, they're up there in terms of age or they were. Um, so it, it's very much, you know, we're going to count your blessings of the time that we still have them around, uh, shall we say, because, you know, they, they're up there and it's going to be a sad day when we don't have that immediate touchstone to the past, you know, um, the, the ability to go and ask, you know, a guy who raced in the 50s, who raced in the 60s. It's going to be a sad day when we don't have that opportunity anymore. Uh, so I just, I, I hope we all appreciate, you know, what we do have in terms of the stars that are still here and really appreciate uh, what Sterling did for the sport. Uh, I want to talk about real quick, uh, his, his, his drive in the 1955 Mille Miglia, uh, which is, I think a thousand mile in Italian uh, is said to be the greatest single day of driving of all time. Uh, and let me tell you, it was a spanking. So Sterling Moss uh, and Doug Jenkins, before you know were two or uh you know sterling was a driver doug jenkins was the navigator and in 1955 they had a thousand mile race uh i think it was like the 32nd in italy and it was held on public roads 
and it was just all one shot. Uh, and if that sounds dangerous, it's because it was incredibly dangerous at the time. Insanely, it's it's still not the safest thing in the world. No, no, no. It, it's racing as a whole has gotten so much safer that even though it's still stupid dangerous, you look back and you're like, how did people survive this? Um, and he, he like completed Formula One. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in 1955, he raced at 992.332 miles in 10 hours, 7 minutes, and 48 seconds at an average speed of 99 miles per hour. And to me and you, already any race with an average, like, you know, speed of 99 miles per hour is crazy. Yeah, you know, like to go that fast, you know, back then is mind-blowing on public roads that aren't built for high-speed racing and a lot of them are gravel (laughs) so if anybody's done anything over 15 miles an hour on gravel you know it's not fun and um i will say that um it was less a millimiglia that he was uh racing and more a cannonball run <laughs> for sure. Uh he raced so that before we get into the Milly Miglia and a great story out of that, um, that 10 hours and seven minutes, by the way, beat his closest teammate, uh, the legendary in his own right, Juan Manuel Fangio, by 32 minutes to him. 32 that's a spanking. <laughs> no, no one beats Fangio. Fangio <laughs> is the original bar by which all Formula One drivers judge themselves and to be beaten, not not only that you beat Fangio, but by half an hour. <laughs> half an hour. Fangio finished second. <laughs> that's like, that's like, uh, you know, someone coming up and just a, just a, uh, you know, anybody in, uh, well, here's what it's like, actually, Luke. It, this is the perfect example hit me with it it would be like lebron right now against michael jordan in his prime and beating him by something like 50 points that (laughs) that's how big a blood bludgeoning that is yes yeah it it would be like challenging you know it'd be like mike trout challenging prime barry bonds to a home run derby and beating him by 30 yeah it's like it's like Or here, prime Albert Pujols. Prime Albert Pujols, exactly. It's like here is, here is a man considered to be one of, if not the best, right? Juan Manuel Fangio, and you spanked him. So let's talk a little bit. I have a little, a great little paragraph on this Mele Miglia uh, section that you can find actually on the Wikipedia page for Sir Sterling Moss. Uh, no shame. I pe- peeled it right off. I'm reading it right out, right, right out of here. So <clears throat> this is about one of his competitors. Tim, you ready for this? Yes. Quote, car number 704 with Hans Hermann and Hermann Eger was said to be the fastest in the early stages. Hermann had already had a remarkable race in 1954 with the gate, when the gate on a railroad crossing was lowered in the last moment before the fast train to Rome passed. Again, public roads, and they just kind of stopped at the railroad crossings. That's, that's stupid, stupid ideas. <laughs> anyway, the railroad crossing was lowered in the last moment when the fast train to Rome passed. Driving a very low Porsche 550 Spider, Herman decided it was too late for a brake attempt anyway and knocked the back of the helmet of his navigator, Herbert Lynch, to make him duck, and they barely passed below the d- gates and before the train to the surprise of the spectators. 
That's just. <laughs> Quick, Doc, we're just going to go under the, the railroad crossing things. <laughs> Dude, Doc, we're going for it. We're going for it. Let's go. We're going to lick the stamp and send it. Send it a little too hard there, boys. <laughs> Except put that in a British accent. Or, uh, yeah, I think it's German accent. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that would be German because it was uh, it was, oh. was one of his competitors. It was Hans, uh, Hans Hermann. So, oh, sorry, the, I thought that was about Sterling. I was no, like, no, 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 <laughs> Sterling. Jesus. Yeah, no, th- that that's the guy he beat the next year, though. <laughs> oh my God! Let's uh, lick the stamp and send it. <laughs> We're going for it. If we die, we I'm die. <laughs> But that's nah. kind of that's kind of the, the the how crazy that race was, and I have a little a little anecdote here too about that 1955 Mille Miglia that Sterling won. Uh, first off, he didn't know the local roads, and that race was like three quarters Italian dudes, and they all knew the roads. So over a thousand miles, you would expect him to be at a disadvantage. But his co-pilot Doug Jenkins kept 16 feet of pace notes on the. <laughs> on the of, around the whole 992 miles and remember back then uh of course nowadays in rally it's everywhere I, you don't race without it uh but back then that was kind of a novel idea <laughs> uh so uh, doug jenkins really helped him out there too and then after winning that race sterling moss drove 18 hours to go visit his girlfriend in germany the next morning <laughs> of course he did stopping only for coffee and breakfast <laughs> well Luke, here's the thing. Back in that day and age, and the reason I said Sterling lived a full life to the fullest with his foot foot very well buried in the loud pedal, um, is that back then in Formula One and in motorsport in general, whether it was here in the States or in Europe, it was it was you did a race. You did something crazy. You had what can only be described as a lethal level of alcohol and probably drugs. And then you, uh, well, you went on to get some loving, uh, to put it in a way that Hubbard might find acceptable. Um, that, that was it. That was literally life. Race cars, get drunk, get love. Period. <laughs> we we're gonna put that on a bumper sticker. <laughs> Racing alcohol and was it was it go go Just fast a hunk, a hunk of burning love. Luke. Go fast, get drunk, get laid. One two yep. three, bing bang yep. boom 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 boom. <laughs> that was all of the fifties and sixties uh, uh, and it, most of the seventies. <laughs> that was that was it. It's also Kenny Raikkonen's uh, so, personal schedule so, on any given day. So Sterling. You know, Lewis Hamilton said that Sterling Moss was a racer's racer. That is the traditional, stereotypical man right there. That is the he's he is uh, he's one of the last of that generation. And damn it, sir, we salute you. We salute you. You lived a life. Ugh, God bless you, Sterling Moss, and uh, t- say hey to Nikki while you're up there. Absolutely. Uh, here's another little anecdote uh, for from Sir Sterling Moss's. Uh, I have two more. One is uh, from that 1955 Mille Miglia. Uh, he was handed a pill, uh, quote, a mystery pill by Juan Manuel Fangio that he said, hey, this really helps. 
to this to, to his death, Sterling Moss claims he had no idea what was in this pill. But uh, it, it, the thought was that it was some kind of you know Adderall, something or the other, to help him focus the entire drive. Hey, this one time, Juan Manuel Fangio handed me a pill. Don't know what it was, but it worked. What are you gonna do? Look at the look at one of the greatest drivers of all time. Go, nah. <laughs> you go, yeah, no, I'll pop that. <laughs> I don't think I could see Sebastian Vettel handing Lewis Hamilton a pill and Lewis taking it. I really don't think that's a thing. I don't. That's that is not something you see. Ah, uh, the fifties. <laughs> goes up. Hey, Lewis, try this. This is great. <laughs> Uh, uh, the 50s when somebody could just randomly hand you a pill and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah that's <well>, all right it <laughs> uh, finally another thing is in britain uh if you're across the pond you probably know this this saying for like years and up until this day really is when you're speeding the officer will pull you over and go, who do you think you are sterling moss um Moss was pulled over once and had this line used on him by an officer who then refused to believe that it yeah yeah I am Sterling Moss how do you do <laughs> so God. I think I think the two people on earth who have had that done to them are him and I think Richard Petty had that done at one point too um so that is an exclusive club so Sterling wow. uh, a life well lived uh and uh one of the legends of old and uh we will we will never forget you. No. Nope. So that breaks our first bad story. And you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it, Tim. I think this is gonna be the worst episode ever. Uh, I put out I'm I'm saying that our title is the worst episode ever because I have one sort of fun story. I was gonna say the rest, uh, we're gonna we're about to slag off a bunch of tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we have that coming. So it's oh and then Sterling Moss went and died uh larson is in controversy um uh, yeah but it there's a bright spot that you and i will darkly laugh at um uh, and uh you know france is off the calendar now hey that's Um, a positive though right i do hate that track (laughs) hashtag bring back magnicor but yeah Uh, like there's just there's 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 (laughs) In terms of just sheer volume of negativity that we have pumping through our veins with this particular episode, yes, I would call this our worst episode ever. I would dedicate it to Sterling Moss, but I don't feel it's right to dedicate something so so brazenly negative in the memory of, of, of a legendary driver. So maybe we'll dedicate the next episode to Sterling Moss. How's that? <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> All right, so let's get into the big one. Uh, NASCAR found itself at the he- the center of headlines from the New York Times to the Washington Post to the LA Times to the Sun. Everybody was talking about NASCAR on Sunday. And uh, I will say, <laughs> really, what a the great racing series with NASCAR has been some of my favorite stuff to watch. Yeah. In, be- this, in this downtime, it, it has been fun seeing more of the F1 drivers get in on, you know, some of the fun, Charles Leclerc actually genuinely funny. Him and Lando and George Russell trying to sing in the worst way possible. Uh, but I, NASCAR has been genuinely fun. Jimmy Johnson is hilarious. I dude, Jimmy Johnson is so entertaining, and he's supposed to like maybe do some IndyCar in the future. And I'm like, what a personality! He's got this incredible personality. And speaking of Formula One, George Russell. 
I mean, he was already a guy that I really respected after last season. But I swear to you, the more I watch George Russell, the more I crave watching George Russell's, like, content. Like, this dude is just hilarious. He is, he is to me, as good at being entertaining and goofy, maybe slightly better than Lando Norris. And I know that is crazy to say. But George Russell, the amount of jokes he makes, the way he can take a joke from Lando Norris, because I've always appreciated straight men, and he is a straight guy to Lando Norris a lot of times. And it is, he is so, so funny. I, they all are, and I can't wait to see Alex Albon get me get in the mix more. They all seem pretty good friends and competitors. They seem to have compartmentalized the part of life that uh, drivers typically can't, where you set aside. It's like this is my competitor. Yes, he. We're going to probably slag each other off in the press. Probably you know do whatever. But at the end of the day, we're still going to go and have a beer and chill um, and hang out because we are also colleagues. It's like baseball players. I was going to say it's like hockey players, right? I'll, yep. I'll punch you in the face on the ice, but off the ice, hey, buddy, no hard feelings. What's on the ice, what's on the track, stays on the track. Yep. But you want to go buy a beer? Let's get a beer, buddy. Hey there, bud. We're going to go get a, get a couple brewskis. Gonna uh, hey, Bob, we're going to go get that, some uh, shots and look at the rockets down there. <laughs> yeah, talk about that uh, haymaker you threw at me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, I think that that culture is, is alive and well in the younger drivers, which is great to see. But I love the iRacing, except uh, Luke, I will say that you and I have been, uh, we both play video games. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I have uh, for years and years and years. And, um, you know, my, my gaming is limited these days to just two games, really. And, you know, F1 2019 being one of them. And unfortunately, in the online uh, gaming world, there can be a lot of just vile talk there and, can and that's part of the culture of it sometimes um is yeah. like you know oh i you know did this to your mother and blah 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 and you know back in the day it was a lot worse than it is now even but yeah there was a um, lot of slurring back then but there's there's kind of one word that you even then you don't say um you know unless you're a like middle schooler who is an absolute moron and kyle larson said that word to everybody <laughs> yeah so we have a clip and uh this is from connor daly's stream so you're gonna hear kyle larson say something uh you know can you hear me you guys can't hear me and then you'll hear it uh i've bleeped it out uh i'm not about to air the n-word because that's what it was um, and then you'll intense racial slur that yeah. should never be uttered anywhere. The one word you can't say, like, we'll, we'll get to that, but, and then you'll hear Connor Daly's reaction. So Tim and I are going to shut up and, uh, let Kyle Larson do the talking. There's a car on the low side, clear inside. You can't hear me? Hey. Oh, 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 oh my oh, gosh. No way. Oh. No way did that just happen. Kyle, you're talking to everyone, but Yikes! <laughs> that was Kyle Larson <laughs> in uh, the last that. moments of his NASCAR career. And rightfully so. <laughs> rightfully so. Um, yeah. Adios, I, muchacho. See, see ya. ya. <laughs> not going to miss you. You're not, yeah, no one's going to miss you. Um, <laughs> that is my favorite uh, 
you know, thing. one of my favorite things I've ever heard on a gaming stream was Connor Daly uh, <laughs> with that epic. And you and I were talking before the show. And I think, I think Luke, your idea, I think was best. We're going to, we're going to adopt that. Yeah, so we said that Connor Daly's reaction is so fantastic that, yikes, that we are going to uh, rename our Wreck of the Week award uh, for now and maybe for permanently. I think for permanently because I think we can get some traction on this into the Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week. <laughs> Yuck. And, and I cannot wait because we say yikes a lot on we this We do show. say yikes a lot. And I cannot wait to really give the yikes the the Connor Daly treatment every week. The Connor Daly yikes of the week. <laughs> I cannot wait. And here's the thing is is when IndyCar visits Gateway, uh, or you know, when they start back up and they're just, you know, in the Midwest and you know, I head to a race or something, I think I could probably get Connor Daly to say, This is Connor Daly, and you're listening to the Connor Daly Yikes of the Week. <laughs> and I would love that. <laughs> Connor. If you're listening, please, that would be awesome. It is Connor, a, you have our deep admiration for that, just that perfectly timed yike. <laughs> and, and again, uh, we have nothing but respect for you. You are one of my favorite personalities on the IndyCar grid that is already full of great personalities. But uh, like, this is not a knock on Connor Daly. This is an admiration of his perfectly timed yikes. <laughs> So Kyle Larson, let's get back to let's get back to that. So uh, immediately, uh, immediately, uh, you know, Kyle, you're talking to everyone. Everybody's in a state of disbelief. If you haven't found the video uh, or watched the video with Joseph Newgarden's stream, he has this like stunned, like, like half like smirk of like, what am I watching? And that's the thing is we're laughing because it's yeah we're laughing because it's so absurd that anybody would do that and like it's so stupid of him that like we're, there's nothing you, else to do we'll no, you question your own sanity <laughs> yes is this the quarantine talking or did i just hear someone say <laughs> that and if i did how quickly can we <laughs> make sure to remove that person from anything associated with us. So like within a couple hours, uh, he, Kyle Larson was dropped rightfully. So I'm going to list off some sponsors and Tim verify. These are some of the biggest sponsors in racing that you've ever heard of McDonald's Chevrolet credit one bank, uh, Fiserv. Everybody dropped him. And then NASCAR suspended him indefinitely, a pending investigation. And then Chip Ganassi Racing came in and said, yeah, we had to talk with, uh, with Kyle because, you know, he's, a, he's riding in a very expensive ride. And uh, if he doesn't have – first off, you know, we're going to have to suspend him and do, you know, take proper procedure here. But if he doesn't have sponsors, uh, yeah, he's, he's out. Yeah, like, we can't – we're not going to pay him. Like, no, if he doesn't have sponsors and he's going to do this, so Chip Ganassi Racing, <laughs> tandem, and that—that that is about all it's going to be for Kyle Larson's NASCAR career. It's really hard to envision him ever going to another top team. Um, so or another top sport. Yeah, if he comes back to NASCAR, which is a big if, um, he's going to have like a you know you're going to run three five races this year on you know insert small team in the worst car on the grid. Uh, that's about where it's going to top out because he can't, 
nobody wants to touch that kind of negative PR with a 10 foot pole, especially sponsors. So see ya. There's a 1 800 nope, nope. So, oh man, yeah, at least uh, at least the universe corrected itself there. <laughs> and here's a kicker is Kyle Larson is a legendary dirt track racer. Um, in fact, so much so that I had the opportunity to speak with him uh, just very briefly. It wasn't recorded at the uh, at the Gateway Dirt Nationals. Um, little did I know, <laughs> but uh, but uh, oh, God, I could have broke that story if only I would ask the questions. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's Mister, okay, Mister Larson. What would you say if you think the mics are off at an iRacing event? <laughs> If you think the mics are off, but these mics are on. Yes. Yeah, holding the mic in his face. But uh, here's the thing, though, is his World of Outlaws career is in danger. He runs a Lucas Oil-sponsored Chevy. Chevy, of course, cut all personal – the personal services contract, all ties with him. Um, I don't – I think he's still allowed to, like, run a Chevy car, but anything that's like – Yeah, a spokesman. He has to buy it like a Joe Schmo would buy a Chevy engine for a sprint car. Um, so – and Lucas Oil backed out of their sponsorship, obviously. Um, so his World of Outlaws team is hurting because those are two huge sponsors in a sport, in a discipline, a motorsport, where like a big sponsor is so rare, you know? Um, World of Outlaws uh, said that uh, he has to take a, uh, several sensitivity courses within 30 days to remain eligible. And if he doesn't, he will be ineligible for the series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh yeah uh here's the thing is i've been to some of those and you envision like dirt track racers as country guys they're going to boo the living daylights out of them because it's 2020 all right racing racing crowds aren't as good old boys as they once were shall we say um i I think the good old boys don't like that yeah they still don't like that yeah (laughs) never did and that's the thing is that like you know, common decency is now more popular, which is awesome. And you can embrace that side of yourself and be decent. And if you get it to a bunch of good old boys and you hear, start hearing that stuff, whoever's saying it is about to get a world-class whooping. They, they um, are. You know, you're, you, you be polite. And the thing that, I, that I'm heartened by is that most anything professional uh, associated with this particular thing acted as swiftly as I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think and, I, I don't, that's it. You're out done. Mm-hmm. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, uh, the actual number or the actual company name, but there is one, uh, there is one company that he's still, uh, he's still employed by in terms of sponsorship. And of course these guys have, you know, dozens of sponsorships and there's one that's left right now. And even they said, we're distancing our relationship and that, and like, we don't approve in any way, shape or form immediately. They just didn't cancel the contract is all. If McDonald's cancels the contract, you cancel your contract. (laughs) McDonald's. Pay the the lawyer, whatever. (laughs) Get away from it. That's nuclear. McDonald's knows more about advertising than you forgot more about advertising than you will ever learn. <laughs> like, exactly. There's a reason they sell billions of hamburgers every single day. In billions of me- of mediocre hamburgers. Why? Because they market it well. <laughs> right. And, you know, I can't remember who said it, but two countries have never gone to war that had McDonald's in them. <laughs> I, Just saying. That- 
Just saying. If it's McDonald's can get that kind of clout, go with it. They, <laughs> they, they sponsored your guy. They're out. You're out. Done. Sold. So let's anyway. talk for a brief second uh, as we wrap up this topic. This is just a, this is a nuclear bombshell for NASCAR because they've tried for so long to not be viewed as the rednecks and the good old boys, right? And then the first time they grab huge major headlines in a long while is because of this. But Kyle Larson isn't what you think of if you're a European or you're somebody not familiar with NASCAR. When you think of a NASCAR driver, you think, I grew up in Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, you know, racing in my book. He grew up in Sacramento, California. And in, in the 2000s, NASCAR had a campaign to improve, improve diversity and give, uh, you know, people of different races better, uh, a fairer shake in racing. Uh, it was called Drive for Diversity, which is just the most NASCAR name. But uh, guess who's half Japanese? Uh, and came through that drive-through diver- for diversity program. Kyle Larson. <laughs> so uh. so that like, this is—he's not a Southern guy, and NASCAR has been trying to shake this stigma of we're not just Southern guys; we're you know actually a racing thing for professional drivers and professional engineers and this and that. And then the one thing that they have that's grabbing headlines right now is everybody saying, well, them good old Southern boys in NASCAR, they just dropped the N-word on a live stream. Like, it's just, of all the series for this to happen to, NASCAR is the, is the one that's probably the most like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, do you want to hear a continuation of this that you and I have not talked about that oh, I just pulled up? because. Please do. We're living in an alternate dimension right now, and all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Well, New York Mets pitcher Marcus Stroman has decided he wants to take a swing at Kyle Larson and has challenged him to a UFC fight. This is going to be... I, I, I kid you not. It's, it's right here on Fox. I, I give up. Luke, stop this planet. I want to get off. I'm done with this version of reality. This is terrible. I want to go back to racing because this stuff is happening and it's showing us sides of people that are terrible. Is this going to happen on Dana White's UFC Fight Island? No, Dana White is going to be like, yeah, sure, let's go. In fact, I'm putting time both hands behind Kyle Larson's back. And it's just going to be, hey, pound my face in. I'm not going to say this is the best possible timeline because it's not, but it might be. Here's the other handicap. Marcus Stroman gets a baseball bat. (laughs) He's a pitcher. He can't swing it all that well, so it's all good. (laughs) He can get it up there. (laughs) I'm not going to say that this is the best possible timeline, uh, but I got to say this might be the funniest possible timeline. In an, in, an, in an onion sort of way. <laughs> it is. This, this timeline is satire of itself, and it's great. It's satire I, if, the, if the author is drunk and depressed. <laughs> Which He's we all like, are these days. This is pandemic. Uh, Country shut down, economy's in the tank. And <laughs> let's throw in a little bit of Kyle Larson racism. That sounds good. Ooh, what if he got in a fight you with a BLB pitcher? 
a Mets pitcher. <laughs> a Mets pitcher is bored, so he's going to challenge him to a fight because it's the Mets, and hey, screw it. Uh, oh, God. And, and finally, if there's one um, downside that's really going to rock racing around the world, it's that I highly doubt we see these personal streams of um, Lando Norris in their current form anymore if uh, Kyle Larson just proved uh, what the fire that they're playing with. Um, so that's probably going to hurt uh, the F1, the IndyCar streams, is they're going to have to figure out a way um, to change that because they don't – this has just become a potential like you know fire hazard that people didn't realize was there so uh that's gonna hurt i think you'll see some uh structuring in the contracts i think for ferrari to allow charles leclerc to be on iRacing in the in the first place is a huge step forward for Mm -hmm. a traditionally not early adapter of that type of press that type of uh pr um, but it's been wildly successful for them. I, I understand. I read somewhere, I believe it was on the race.com that merch was up, um, for anybody involved. So they can still have some revenue coming in. I know most teams have taken big pay cuts so that, you know, they can remain, um, solvent in these times. I think what they'll do is they will put an racing uh, like clause in, um the contracts and make it like immediately and Mm -hmm. say you know hey if you do this great here's we here's the uh conduct we expect you to maintain and if you go outside the bounds it is you know katie bar to the door you're gone and the sad part of course that's probably should have been there in the first place but the sad part is is that means that regardless of what's in there you're taking away a little snippet of that lack of barrier you're putting a little tiny barrier up between the driver's unfiltered personality which is kind of one of the appeals of these live streams and uh adds you're putting that barrier up there so it's the first brick in the wall really um if another incident like this happens or, you know, we can't continue to see conduct be, can, you know, go this way. Um, this is the first brick, you know, this is the first brick in building the structure of 20 years from now. Drivers are in full interview mode. It was a tough race. We raced the race that came to us. I have to thank all the boys, you know, back to the factory. I want to thank the, uh, the strategies. I want to thank you know, good strategy by the boss today. That's what we're going to see in 20 years. If, if we keep you know building this but that first brick is absolutely necessary at this point because kyle larson just said you know hey we can't have nice things so (laughs) and that's why that's why we can't have nice things yep uh man so uh connor daly uh yikes of the week award there's only (laughs) there's only one nominee we we said we wouldn't give the awards out over the off season Except for extraordinary circumstances, and this is it, baby. Kyle Larson, welcome to the first ever Yikes of the Week Award. And also, Wall of Shame. I'm not even going to ask your opinion. He's on the Wall of Shame. He, I actually think we, this is a good time for you and I to discuss, and probably live for the ladies and gentlemen that are listening to us right now, uh, probably getting – because our policy – our company policy here at 101 ESPN with the wall of shame is that you can redeem yourself from the wall of shame. I think we go the opposite side of what we used to talk about with the sub-zero cool wall and have a permanent portion 
of the wall of shame. So we don't do we put him into the do we put him into the uh rich energy corner of intrigue and villainy? Or no. or do we put him in the Kyle Larson corner right behind the door jam? So like you open the door and slam his face every time. It's yeah, you know, so the the wall is set out on the right side is the wall of fame, left side is the wall of shame, directly to the left of the wall of shame is the door, and then there's the corner to the thing. I'm thinking there's the corner to the studio. I think you print out his face and you put it right behind the door, so you slam the door in his face and just call it Kyle Larson's. Kyle, we'll we'll workshop this. Kyle Larson's timeout corner. Oh no, the Kyle, the Kyle Larson implies, corner. Timeout implies uh, implies you're able to get out. No, I would say the maybe the Kyle Larson memorial for career suicide. <laughs> No, the, the Kyle Larson. Um, we'll, we'll workshop Something it. about being irredeemable. <laughs> we'll workshop it. We'll think right. of it. And we'll, anybody that starts tweeting at me about, you know, being more forgiving and stuff, that's great. But you know what? Sometimes some people, yeah. things like this are not redeemable. They're un. Yeah, you, you can't, there's a difference between getting caught, uh, like singing along with a song and dropping the N word with an A where it's just not okay, but you could sometimes be like, all right, well, you know, there's a difference between that and the way he casually went about it with a hard R, right? Like the, the, the semantics behind it were bad. It's, it's irredeemable. And I feel we need to not only memorialize that, but we need to memorialize the career suicide that it was because he, there's a thing too is again the clip he had no reason to say it there was not it just, just it was an, and that's the thing though it was so instinctive yes that you know he uses it more yeah and that's what's so irredeemable about it that's what makes it so awful and personally i'm gonna i'm gonna workshop this for the next day and we're gonna come back next week luke and i'm gonna have i'm gonna name it something awful <laughs> that you'll never be able to come out and we'll put a couple people in there or we might not we might just let kyle larson remain in there for a while kyle larson remains in there until somebody inevitably says something is bad or commits career suicide in that manner shall we exactly. say <laughs> yeah uh, but for right now the way i see the wall of shame that is purgatory you can work your way out uh wall of fame obviously heaven and this is hell you're never getting out of here yeah and the f1 corner of intrigue and villainy is just its own separate entity it's you intrigue us, and we don't know what to think of it. It's a special case. It's a case-by-case case basis. Well, Kyle Larson, congratulations. Yikes of the week. Your own special corner in the room. I'm sure the other shows that use our studio are like, they're just going to have a collage by the time next year of everybody in motorsports. But that's the idea. Yep. So That is the idea. And uh, bye, Kyle. Hope it's yeah. cold. See ya. So yeah, uh, yeah. Hope hope you're doing well in Sacramento because you're not going to go much many other places. Let me tell you. Hope Arkansas Strowman kicks your ass. You want? Do you want the uh, the one good story we have this week? Yes, please God. What the negativity is flowing through our veins more than caffeine flows through mine normally, and that's toxic levels. More than racism flows through Carl Lar Kyle Larson's veins. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> F1 2020 is going to have two uh, bigger features in the game. One major, one I'll call a medium feature. Uh, they just announced today, and we'll start with the smaller feature. Season links for career mode in F1 2020 
will or yeah 2020 will be customizable uh so you can have a 10 race season 16 or the full 22 race season uh for your career and i know that's something a lot of people are looking for uh, forward to i am myself i'll be honest with you i get through maybe a season two seasons and then i'm like you know what uh, the the see the, the you know it's kind of this if my career my interest in my career mode has played itself out right back to time attacks um so 10 race seasons now all of a sudden maybe i maybe i feel the motivation to go for four world championships you know maybe i feel the motivation to you know blast through seasons more uh, i think that's a good feature tim uh, i agree i do i lose interest after about season four mm-hmm. um you know typically uh i'll have made it in the top five um and you get i know right i'm pretty good at this <laughs> right yeah um but uh you know you get to ferrari you get to mercedes and then you know it's like okay this is kind of tedious i don't want to go back to france um 1-800 i'm out so um you know it might be good to do that and i might want to have a dynasty career Mm -hmm. um to say hey i won eight world championships top that lewis yeah um Lewis, please don't get mad at me if you're listening to this. I know that, you know, you, your PR team is excellent. Um, Lewis, Lewis already topped you at life, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he did. He wins. I <laughs> yeah, mean, he wins. <laughs> you know. Uh, but, hey, the bigger addition, and this is the one that really intrigues me as a player of Motorsport Manager 1, 2, 3, and, and online. Uh, a My Team mode is being added in F1 2020, which will see you as the manager of a team, an 11th team on the grid. So that means that you will be able to manage, you know, drivers, car development, race strategy, presumably, um, from the, from the eyes of a total wolf on your own team an 11th team. I don't know if you can be a, a separate team. I don't know if you could still take control of Mercedes and do that, but that is a very fascinating feature. And I really do look forward to it. And two, if there's an 11th team option, that means that there's going to be some sort of a paint shop on, uh, on F1 2020. And they showed some options. Yeah. The rollout today that looked pretty intriguing. And I would love to take another crack at the Pink Panther uh, scheme if it's me. Um, because, you know, Force India hasn't changed that livery in a while. And I think that would be really cool on the car. Um, but no, I'm intrigued by it. And it comes out in July. So usually the F1 game from Codemasters comes out in like August or October. Uh, I think, yeah, late August, early October, some, somewhere so around there. August, you know? September, October, something yeah, like that. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, but uh, it's ex- that's exciting. Yeah, it really is. I think my team mode really has the uh, the opportunity to to kind of expose a new type of game player to it. Uh, I play the Motorsport Manager games constantly. Motorsport Manager 3 is probably, it's been on my phone since the day it came out and I play it all the time. It's a different kind of game, right? So you're appealing, if you're trying to increase broad appeal, my team or a manager sim is going to attract your XCOM types, your strategy game types. And if it's done well, I think you could kind of foresee it hitting a different market, right? Think about Madden. Madden hits the market of here's your online, you know, players over here, but it also sells to the people who want, you know, here's, my GM mode or, you know, the GM or team owner mode. So I think it's, I think it's two, I think those are really good additions and I'm eager to pick up a copy this year. I didn't get 2019, but I will get 2020. Cool. Uh, so back to negativity. 
Okay. <laughs> um, so France has been canceled, and you talked about that briefly. Yeah, that's a positive. Nah, <laughs> you got me. I, I'm good. We don't have I'm to visit Paul Ricard. There's only if there's only one race of the year, and it's France. I don't want. I don't want a season. Like, no, that is how much I hate that track. When we, when we get bring back Magnicor, please help us, Manuel Macron. Please. When we get to that weekend, we should have kazoos and like little party poppers and no France this weekend. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, that's gone. I don't see that as negative. I think that's a positive. Uh, so let me adjust if the, your. If the season starts in Belgium. <laughs> Uh, Belgium just enacted a, a law about uh, mass gatherings that might play with the GP. So back to negativity. Uh, the season might start, however, in Austria. Uh, the Austrian government has said that it, quote, will not stand in the way of a Formula One race at the Red Bull Ring going ahead behind closed doors at the start of July. It's scheduled for the 4th of July weekend, obviously. Uh, and it would be the first race of the season. Uh, with an asterisk and uh, Austrian sports minister Werner Kogler said this is a completely different situation than games in a stadium several people are affected the minimum distance rules would have to be observed in the same way of course but that seems possible I don't want to hide the fact that I'm in contact with the Syrian governor in this regard this would be an exist which would be in the existing calendar in July ultimately the sports federations must decide uh, what they want to do for themselves. I've been in uh, contact with Helmut Marco. I told him that I would like to honor, uh, hold on, never mind. Helmut Marco, who plays a corresponding role at the Red Bull Ring and is a mediator in these discussions. I'd like to honor this and uh, we'll move forward with guidelines. He did mention, however, that the largest hurdle would be getting the F1 people into the country legally, um, as there's a lot of travel bans in place. And a lot of quarantine rules in place before you can travel to many nations, Austria included. So we could be seeing a season opener at Austria, maybe behind closed doors. I'd be cool with it. I like the red. I like the Red Bull Ring. I like the way it races. Uh, I I quite like it too. Um, so and I mean, hell, I'd even take Hungary at this point. Yeah, um, for real. But, you know, world's changing, bud. Yeah, it is. It's like the start of every one of this, every superhero movie, you know? The world's changing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except this time it's by a virus that we that yeah. caught us flat-footed. Um, you ever, you ever feel like you're living in the opening, like, 20 minutes of Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> yeah, except my, uh, my work is considered essential. Um, I'm part of the real estate world that has to keep moving. So I'm in the offices almost every day. Technically, uh, we technically radio is essential too, but that doesn't mean the hours to get cut back. <laughs> well, live sports, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it, it does make for bummed out, you know, conversations with you and me. Turns out um, putting all your eggs in one basket is a bad idea. <laughs> Who would have thought? Well, uh, no, it happens, but, uh, no, I'm, uh, I've been out, so the the quarantine hasn't been as effective on me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think I worked from home for a week when we went to a convention where there was someone there with COVID nineteen, and decided that even though he was sick as a dog, he wanted to come to the convention because you know people are selfish and terrible, 
And so we quarantined ourselves as a management group for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kept busy, but I've been out ever since. And, um, you know, we've been taking every precaution. Most honestly, right now, I'm a janitor. I clean the daylights out of our offices and at our, at the behest of, you know, our, my superiors and, and rightly so. And, um, but at the same time I get to go to the office and then I, you know, there's no one there. So I actually get to put on old races on F1 TV pro, oh, which nice. is working fantastic right now, by the way. Wow. There's not many caseloads probably are there. <laughs> nope. And, uh, so it's, uh, it, it's working out pretty well, yeah. but, um, the point is yeah, though, so. is that offices can be clean. And I think an F1 race can be clean too, if they choose to run it. Right. Yeah. I absolutely agree. The thing is, is I'm not sure how like a pit stop would work if you're going to do social distancing. Um, but I think we're going that, IndyCar, baby. Yeah, <laughs> we're going NASCAR, five guys over the wall. That's it. Let's yep. go. <laughs> but uh, I think, though, that it's a, it's reasonable to think that maybe if you just do a central team staff and there's a lot that can be done over telecommunication in the race. Um and I have to think here that F1 being as influential as it is, right? Hopefully uh, by July that this, you know, we'll have enough tests available worldwide to where this won't be the case. But I wouldn't put it past F1 to test every single one of their, one of their people, regardless, your two month, your two week quarantining before the race even starts. And then you're all going. Um, yep. I think it's doable. Uh, I just think, you know, I'm going to focus on me because I'm a self-centered prick. Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh, there, salty dog. Isn't it my luck that, that, you know, oh, no, we're not postponing it till a later date. No, it's going to be run. No no fans. Oh, thanks, guys. (laughs) Uh, It's all right. Hey, you know what? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to parlay it till next year. It's all good. Um, So that will do it for the... uh, for the news, I do believe. Uh, oh, one last thing about the schedule. Um, Tim, you got the F1 app on your phone? Uh, you know, I do. Now, I don't know if you updated it. I only updated it today. I don't know if that update came out today. But if you click it and you go to the racing tab on that, uh, on that app, usually it displays a, a large, like, uh, you know, a large calendar. I just opened it up and it said update available. Yep. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So let me, while you update, I'll click the racing tab and it says upcoming and uh, it says upcoming in light of the ongoing COVID-19 situation. They're currently working with race promoters, revised 2020 calendar, and we'll update this page once a new schedule has been approved. This is interesting because up until today it had, here's the dates postponed, postponed, but like Austria, Oh, you still displayed the date for Austria. You still displayed the date for France. You still displayed the date for Belgium, for you know Italy. Now there's no dates. Now they're just saying we're working on the schedule, and I think that kind of belays a like a total lack of a guarantee that even if a race is scheduled in late August, you know October, you know looking at you Abu Dhabi maybe, uh, maybe there's not that guarantee that like Abu Dhabi is even going to happen on time, despite the fact it's in you know November. I think that uh, you might be seeing every every December. race change up. Yeah, late November, early December, somewhere around there. Yeah. But um, I, I think, think you could be seeing every race change. Smart. I think that's smart. Um, they were going to restructure the summer break anyway. And, um, you know, uh, Ralph Braun did a great interview with uh, Martin Brundle and Sky Sports um, or Sky F1. And 
um, he talked about, you know, having things done behind closed doors for the rest of the season, no fans whatsoever. And, um, you know, to try to, you know, quarantine and cruise, doing all that, you know, but making the thing happen and eliminating the summer break and saying, you know, and he said, I think what, what was interesting was, you know, I know this was stressful on, you know, teams before, but they may be more willing now to do three and four weekends in a row. Yeah. Um, so they might just do a sprint marathon all the way to the end and get the eight races or more in. They could get 12 if they really hauled, um, you know, and tried to salvage something of the season. I think the number I read in an article today, I think it was a more that the article was more about John Tote and how he thinks, you know, we could maybe lose teams after this, uh, which is a realistic possibility. We'll talk about at a later date. But um, I think the number he said was, uh, 19, 19 races are still either they've been postponed or they're scheduled. Like 19 races are left that haven't been canceled. Um, I don't think we're going to get to 19. No way we do that. But um, that's still a lot of places that have said, nope, we're still, uh, we're still would like you to come if you're able um, or willing to have you come here if you're able. So uh, I think, yeah, like you said, I think teams will be uh, more like hey you know what family look i hate being gone for three months and away from you guys and one like fell swoop but i gotta go i gotta go and this is not just you know for me this is a paycheck for us and at this moment where we are you know at that moment where they would be financially who knows uh so that paycheck might be you know worth more than just the normal amount of dollars and cents you know like it's worth a hundred dollars, but if you're out of money, that hundred dollars means a whole lot more, right? So, um, it, I think that yeah, you'd see teams do that, and I think you'd also see, um, in terms of like just the kind of labor disagreement of, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to work eight weeks in a row in F1 and F1 going, you need to work ten weeks in a row. Come on, um, yeah. I think you'll be seeing a lot of those guys uh, for this year and possibly next a lot of those kind of disagreements and spats just get kind of tossed out the window because everybody kind of unifies around the fact that one, I need a paycheck, but two, let's just get this and get it done so we can have this in the future. Cause it kind of, we, we just need, we need to focus on the sport and then we can focus on everything else. And it might come down to, we need to do this to save the sport because two, at least two teams could fold. Yeah. Um, we're already at the, that's the thing too, is we're already at the lowest number of teams that we could possibly have right now in most fans opinions. If we were having, you know, if we had 13, 14 teams, 12 teams, somewhere in that number, and we'd lost two teams, this wouldn't be quite as dire. Um, but we're already at that low watermark. Um, so it is, it is extra, it is extra dire. It's extra important to keep the teams afloat. Um, yep. So, yeah, uh, and, all, and I'll, I'll say this too before we jump into worst tracks ever. All teams, because as much as, uh, you know, the Pink Panthers over at Racing Force India are hurting because they're, you know, operate on a shoestring budget most of the time, uh, as much as Williams is hurting, Mercedes is also hurting as a global conglomerate because they're not, probably not selling as many cars as they anticipate. And you know where they need to, you know, they're probably going to cut back funding in a, in a, large recession on their end well that expensive formula one program that's essentially you know advertising uh 
that looks like a great place to do it. Uh, same with Renault. Yeah, so it's it, regardless of the scale. Uh, that was already on the way out. That was Ren- the Renault is already gone. That's the secret. <laughs> Worst <laughs> kept secret. But, but yeah, the point is though is that it doesn't matter how big of a company or how big of a team they are. Everybody's in danger. That's a maybe Ferrari. Um, yep. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned. We'll talk about uh, teams and their futures uh, at a later ep- date, at a later episode. Tim, uh, I think we've hit about the 50-minute mark, 5 uh, So let's kick it into our F1 story, history, deep dive, and keeping with the theme of the worst things of all time. All right? How about we talk about the worst ever F1 tracks? Please, let us. Oh. Can't let, wait. Let me start. Uh, by talking about the Pacific Grand Prix of 1994-1995, held in Japan. And Japan, you know, is a country with a ton, an absolute wealth of, uh, an absolute wealth of great racetracks, right? Uh, yep. Not all of them FIA, you know, uh, approval. But uh, one of them is that got FIA grade one was the Tanaka circuit and it held the 1994-1995 Pacific GP and it doesn't suck as a circuit for you know Sunday club driving uh you know what it sucks for formula 1 it sucks for formula 1 all right like it is just so ridiculously small let me tell you i took a Dallara DW12 which i realize isn't totally the same thing as as a formula one car i do that delar dw12 around it and ice racing which again not the real thing and i'm not very good at i racing but every time you go around the tanaka circuit uh i see uh i see yeah let me see i have wrote this down all but two of the corners are digging first or second gear Every corner is slow. The track is narrow. The stands aren't really that big. And it's just horribly optimized for these huge, powerful Formula One cars. Again, great car to, you know, go out and take a Sunday drive to take your Mini Cooper around uh, if you're that kind of hot hatchback racer. But uh, not, not built in the slightest for a Formula One car. No. And yeah, it's just, it, it was brutal. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. That's your teaser. We're going to take a quick break because I forgot to do it between going <laughs> to, to the news and the story. And we'll be back right after this. The Formation Lab. The Formation Lab. Welcome back to the Formation Lab. We're, we're right in the middle of uh, our F1 story because Luke, you know, it, Tim, peek behind the curtain, see how the sausage is made. It's 1020 at night right now. We're doing this. We're, we're a little, we're spied by, we're, we're rolling on nothing but spite, caffeine, and negativity right now. So Mostly spite. Yeah, mostly spite. Mostly spite. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you already went through the Tanaka circuit, so may I do the honors on our next circuit? Oh, please do. This is an infamous one. I love it. It is. So here's the thing, Luke. In 1980, Bernie Eccleston was trying to enhance the viewership, mostly the income of, you know, folks that attend races. You know, a big target for him was anywhere where disposable income was at at an all-time high. That was the only thing. So in 1980, when Watkins Glen officially stopped, he rolled out a few new tracks. He got his wish finally. And he got one 
in Las Vegas. Now, here's the thing, Luke. Las Vegas is an apocalyptically stupid idea if you're running cars that run hilarious temperatures. They need temperature to function and they need temperature to not be too high because they might just roast themselves. Um, it, but Bernie wanted money, so off to Vegas we went. And this, uh, this track, this track got me uh, because I have, you know, Luke and I, unfortunately, have already discussed this uh, on, a, on an episode that was lost to oblivion because of technology. It was the worst sounding episode we've ever done. The internet yeah. went out and it's just an hour and a half of glitch. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing but glitch, but we've, and we've already talked about it. But in the meantime, I have looked up pictures of this track and it just made me so angry. <laughs> because, I don't know, Luke, if you're going out to Las Vegas, mm, let, okay. let's, let's you and me brainstorm for a little bit. All right, let's, let's do a little to, thought experiment. If, if we're going out to Vegas... Where do you think would be stupid to put a track? Uh, so I'm going to say that the, that the smart option would be to preferably try and have a race at some point down the strip. I would think that the dumbest place you can do would be someplace where it gets hotter than normal, right? So like maybe a gigantic parking lot. Um, a gigantic parking lot is where we went. Specifically, no. <laughs> the gigantic parking lot of Caesar's palace <laughs> the entire thing was contained in the parking parking lot, lot. <laughs> it was a repetitive track it was a stupid track and there was a no it was in no way shape or form suitable for formula one cars in 1980 <laughs> they had around seven or eight hundred horsepower why would you do that and you did it in the middle of the day when the sun is, you know, cooking you. Roasting so, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is so hot, if you haven't been there, that when you walk the normal sidewalks, they have misters everywhere because people are like, I don't want to be outside for more than like 30 seconds of this. Let alone guys in fire suits, in gigantic formula, you know, hot as hell Formula One cars on a parking lot that you can cook an egg on. An ocean of cooked tarmac. And little side note, also peek behind the curtain. It's hilarious to me that Luke, the uh, hardcore church-going guy, uh, has been to Vegas, and I haven't. Oh, um, I've been to Vegas several times. Oh my god! <laughs> so I whatever. Um, I actually have no interest of going there, but um, that's just I, a different personal. I uh, don't preference. really, but I do want to go to a Golden Knights game now. But back to this track, Tim. Would anyway. you like to take me on a virtual track walk of this track? Oh, gee, sure. It's, uh, well, we're at the start line. Start out, hairpin, kink, hairpin, kink, okay. hairpin, kink. Oh. Would you, would you believe it's a hairpin? Oh, my god. And gosh. then another kink. And then another hairpin to bring us back to the start line. Along that sounds fantastic. Yeah, the track was so repetitive and stupidly designed that it put tons of strain on the driver's necks because you're doing nothing but right-handed turn nine or yeah, 90 degree turns and hairpinning and just all the G forces of that in a very short amount of time, you get up to speed and stop in a very, there's no settling in the car, but an outdoor summer race caused tons of drivers to have dehydration issues, 
Uh, many complained about their necks. Most were on the verge of collapse. Uh, when Nelson Piquet clinched his first world championship by finishing fifth in 1981, it took him 15 minutes to recover from heat exhaustion after barely getting his car across the finish line. It was an apocalyptic track. This should be maybe the most exciting point in this guy's life, and it took him 15 minutes to recover. He's yep. on adrenaline as much as he can be, and he's still knocked out for 15 minutes. Yeah. It is stupid. Yep, that it was absolutely stupid. So thanks, Bernie. You know, the whole time you told that story, I was like, oh, Bernie wants money? No. Mm -hmm. No. He's such an uncorruptible figure. <laughs> all right, let's go, uh, let's go to uh, Racing Holy Ground, housing one of the worst tracks of all time, Le Mans. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Mulsanne circuit. Uh, Le Mans, as, as the 24-hour race goes, uh, the Mulsanne circuit is one of those tracks in the gold standard of racing circuits in just this classic circuit. It's a, it's a masterpiece, right, that survived the ages. However, it does have um, a shorter Grand Prix circuit that many people don't know about called the Bugatti circuit. Um, it, uh, it doesn't translate to F1. Hey, that's what we learned in Tanaka, right? Or maybe we didn't learn here, so we went to Tanaka anyway, because this takes place back in 1967. Uh, the Mighty Le Mans circuit has – the Bugatti circuit just doesn't translate at all to the Mighty Le Mans. Uh, it's a little more than – it's a curved straight, uh, a right-handed hairpin, left-handed hairpin, right-handed hairpin. Those are back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. Uh, and then another curved straight. And then three very tight switchback hairpins. There's your lap. Uh, it, turns, uh, it turns out it sucked. That's the complete lap. It's, it was short. It was dull. And uh, this is a track that, to this day, in touring car, from my understanding, actually produces some okay racing. But touring cars do not race on F1 circuits. And F1 circuits, like, don't – like, they just don't mix. They need different things. Um, so, yeah, F1 – couldn't hack it there really sucked it went one year and they said this sucks and uh went somewhere else instead uh Thank yeah god honestly here's the thing luke i hate this track it's short again stupid no challenging anything there's no natural elevation there's no character at all it is literally just a money grab and and uh, I have so much salt pumping through my veins. I'm drinking a gigantic cup of water to thin it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about, are we talking about Le Mans or are we talking about our next circuit? Both? Yes. <laughs> Both. I want to say too, that the added insult of Le Mans being on this list, making me say Le Mans is one of the worst F1 tracks of all time adds to how terrible it is because that is. You, you, it, it, it's a dump on <laughs> Le Mans. Yeah. You, it's like you just walked into the cathedral and, you know, spray painted on the ceiling. <laughs> it's it's you what know? you did. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. And shame you went, on you. You went into the Sistine Chapel, right? You went, yeah, you went into the okay. Sistine Chapel. You pulled out your phone and you looked at memes the whole time is what you did. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's art. <laughs> look at oh, my yeah. phone. There's art on my phone. Yeah, look that, at that. Or you threw a, you know, paint balloon at it. And you yeah, said, oh, look, I made it better. No, you didn't. I just, mm, but yeah, no, this, this next track. Whew. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, 
back. When was the first one here? I think it was uh, 2014. 2014. I will say when I compiled this list, I tried not to be too recency biased. But we can't not put this track on there, Tim. No, we, we, yeah, it's got to be on there. It's earned its place on there. Um, this particular track, back in 2011 or so, I believe, it was announced that Russia would be hosting the Winter Olympics. Perfect. You think Moscow, St. Petersburg, so much snow, so much ice. <clears throat> Questionable so, human vodka. rights violations, too. But, you know, hey, that's, that's, that's right where F1 wants to step in. <laughs> well, I'm not looking to be political because F1 tends to not look at human rights violations and think, no, that's bad. We shouldn't do that. They think dollar signs. We go to dollar signs. And you know what the Olympics are? Dollar signs. Continue. Exactly. So what, instead of the nice cold places that you would host the Winter Olympics, it was decided by the government. I'm sorry, I should, I should clarify. It was decided by Vladimir Putin that he would put this in the seaside town of Sochi. This is, Sochi is a vacation spot for those who aren't um, familiar. It is kind of like the Monaco of uh, the Black Sea. Um, and, you know, higher income, vacations, nice stuff. And so he wanted to put it there. Okay, cool. He designs it and he thinks, and I, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. So I would say that he had the right mentality with trying to put longevity into the structures that he was doing and built a Formula One track to bring Formula One a high-end, um, you know, form of entertainment for the area. Pretty good thinking if you're thinking long-term. Um, but it is his personal playground. It, uh, the track design was a major letdown, especially because, as we'll see later, they had tons of control over it and nothing happened. Uh, they, they just completely crapped the bed. Featuring one unique tire-busting corner, the rest of the track has an inexplicable number of right corners, specifically 11 out of 19 or 12 out of 18, depending how you count turns 9 and 10. This is why Herman Tilke is on the wall of shame. He has a lot of open space to use, but decides to say, mm, yes, this will be dull. I will do this. That's the cardinal sin to me is if you look at the satellite map of Sochi, and I realize he had a lot of restrictions that even we don't know about. But if you look at the satellite map of Sochi and that Olympic park, there's a lot of stadiums. You know what stadiums have around them in spades? Parking lots. So why didn't you have the track make some interesting corners that aren't, you know, right angle corners in the parking lot? Why? <laughs> it is it, it is inexplicable how bad this is. And, and it's just they were involved so early on in the process, they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. If they said anything. If they said, "Hey, let's move the stadium about 30 feet to the west so we can open up this corner." They could have because it was in the planning phase. That's how early they were in here. And Vladimir Putin wants it. Yes. You give Vladimir Putin something he wants, he, that dog going to get it. <laughs> if Vladimir Putin wanted those stadiums moved today, 30 feet to the west, he could have it done. <laughs> they just lift it up and yeah. move it. <laughs> you would ship in a lot of people from Siberian gulags. Yeah. Sorry, that's a political joke. I apologize. I got to make jokes. So much salt <laughs> in my veins. So much salt. Uh, I will let you take this next one, dear sir. 
Are you letting me take it because there's a lot of German words in here, and uh, and you enjoy it. Don't don't I try do. to fool the listener. Do. You I, love talking this stuff. I, I I mess it up. I love talking both bad tracks, bad design, and I also like talking as much German as as I can muster. The Automobilwerkers und Umbrunstrasse, or the Avus, as it's known in German, is uh, is the automobile traffic and exercise road, and uh, it held the it started holding uh, races in 1922. The Avus was a 12 mile long track back in the days when they were all behemoths right so let me take you through a lap tim all right you're gonna start on the start straight you're gonna go six miles dead straight you're gonna make a large turn on a banked turn and then you're gonna for 180 degrees then you're gonna go six miles straight back and then you're gonna have a hairpin and you're back at the start Wow. It's a real thinker of a design. <laughs> uh, yeah, so literally it, it's just six miles one way. You turn around six miles the next way. The northern hairpin, uh, known as the Nordschleife, fun fact, Nordschleife refers to the fact that that is the, quote, northern loop of the Nürburgring in racing parlance. Um, that's all Nordschleife means is the north circle or loop. Uh, so the northern hairpin uh, featured a incredible 43-degree banking, which is 12 degrees steeper than Daytona today, all right, <laughs> <laughs> which is stupid. It also didn't feature any rails on the top of it, so, you know. <laughs> they are Germans. They are never going to get the corner wrong. No, no. You come here to get the corner wrong, you're not German. Maybe the people who get the corners wrong are the election. You fly off the side. <laughs> Maybe if you get um, the corner wrong. Bye. There's actually some great pictures of cars flying off the Avus ring if you if you Google them. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it, it just it was crazy. It was that uh, hairpin, by the way, was removed in 1961 under the same push, to the, uh, the same like push for safety that removed the Monza Oval. Um, let me say this: if it shocks you that uh, this track was built in 1922, sucked until 1961. Oh, it didn't stop there. No, you see, the track, uh, the track was kept going until 1995, I believe, is the year that it finally shut down. It was one of the oldest circuits in the world when it shut down, the Avus, uh, and it was, it was based in Berlin. We said that, but it actually has a history that is more interesting than the track itself, which isn't really that hard. You see, that six miles straight. <laughs> That six miles straight one way and the six miles straight the other way ended up crossing uh, the east and west German border during the Cold War. Uh, so, of course, it got shortened and shortened and shortened. By the time of its demise in 1998, now it wasn't 1995, I was wrong, it went from six miles and it was down, it, then it was down to like five total miles. And then it was, you know, three miles. It was a total full loop of 1.6 miles by the time it ended still with that signature straight one way you turn straight the other way you turn set up well at least they maintain the integrity yeah <laughs> it's it's just you. yeah hey, and it was still all in west german territory because every time the border moved they had to move it back and back and back 
interestingly enough, unlike most of these circuits that we talk about that are uh, demolished, especially the street circuits, the Avus still stands today. It's a public highway. It's a major thoroughfare in in Britain, or not in Britain, in Berlin. Duh. Um, it's a public highway because that's what it was. It was a highway, and then you U-turn and come back the other way on that same highway. Uh, the stands are still next to the highway. Uh, it, they're protected, historically protected structure, so you can pull off and you can go sit in the stands at Avus or at least visit the stands. I don't think you sit in them. And the race control tower, which is just iconic, like uh, just really classically cool-looking structure, has a giant Mercedes logo on the top and uh, still stands today and is a cafe. So uh, if you're in Berlin, go check out the old Avus structure because even though it was one of the worst tracks of all time, that's still an interesting bit of history. I'll give it that. That makes it more redeemable than our next one. Yeah. No. Oh, oh. Take the next one, please. I don't want to talk about this one. Oh. <laughs> All right, folks. So let's rewind the clock uh, back to early 2000s. <clears throat> A big... Uh, venue was being designed on a man-made island so these people had some money and they wanted to host an f1 race again herman tilka was called because bernie eccleson wanted herman tilka i i guess he insisted on it um and you know because he hates us all and they designed this track and it in 2007, it becomes the season finale. That's right. We're talking about Yas Marina Circuit. Oh, oh I hate this oh. circuit. I don't watch the race. I just wait for the end of the highlights and be like, okay, that's cool. I do the same thing with Sochi. <laughs> deuces, deuces, whatever year that was. Um, the track features a last sector made entirely of right turns and a brilliant hairpin leading into uh, straight now if anybody is a genuine racing fan you know that hairpins are best placed at the end of a straight where you can outbreak the other person you can you know show off the 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 abilities of the cars hairpin you know going in two no like no that's just stupid but whatever. Additionally, it features a chicane into that hairpin because they didn't design the stands with enough room to make said hairpin a heavy braking zone. So they had to double up the braking because they didn't design it well enough. And that kind of speaks to the knucklehead um, stuff going on with that. And uh, You're at a loss of words. I, I, right. It was custom built before the island was built. The track could have been literally anything. And you give us this turd. And not well, only that. Herman Tilka, you are why we can't have nice things. Not only that, but then you say, yeah, let's build up around it. Make it an entertainment venue. So now it's hemmed in on all sides by either stands or clubs or restaurants or hotels or whatever. And they can't change the thing. They literally, they're hemmed in on all sides. It, it, it's now baked in. It's over. You can't change it. Yeah. It sucks. But they've got an awful lot of money. It has given us one good thing, though. It has contributed so much into the scientific field of research 
scientists regularly visit it is it's known as the flattest thing ever known to the mankind. <laughs> yeah, it is. It what, is. Uh, it is very flat. When they when they make levels, you know, like little bubble levels, they put them on that circuit to like make make sure they're calibrated correctly. <laughs> it is. Like you said, it could have been anything, and it chose to be this. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, I guess, just the world we live in now. Uh, tracks. But, Luke, I will let you take us home. I will take us home right back from where we started. Hey, Tim, you remember, you remember when you first introduced a track and you said, you know, what's the worst idea you could do? Uh, summer race in the middle of the desert? Yep, I do. Would you believe Formula One did that another time? You know, Luke, at this point, I know for a fact that Bernie Eccleston doesn't learn from the knucklehead. So, yes, I actually would. <laughs> I'd be shocked if they learned their lesson, honestly. Let me pitch this to you, all right? I'm going to Hollywood agent, big shot, all right? You tell me, all right, how much money you're giving me to make this. Phoenix, outdoors, day race, middle of the city, in July. Luke, I'm only watching to see how many people die. <laughs> it's not, I'm not tuning in for racing. I'm a psychopath that wants to watch people expire on the concrete because honestly, I'm a little lazy and I don't want to go out and do it to ants in my driveway. They're melting. They were melting on a, and here's the thing. They weren't even melting for a very good track. It featured 13 corners. Uh, technically it was, uh, or yeah, it featured 13 quarters. Technically they said it had 15 because they want to be special and count numbers differently than the rest of the civilized world. Um, but, uh, 10 of which 10 of those corners out of 13 are pure right angles. And here's the thing is you don't design city cir street circuits in America because they're grids. They're grids. It's great for navigating, terrible for racing. Yeah, don't do it in New York City. No. Don't, don't you dare do it on the island of Manhattan. No, it's terrible. One, you'll get sick. Two, it's a terrible race. It's just so you'll piss off a lot of people for nothing. You know what's worse? Phoenix. The inaugural race at the track held one of the slowest paces in recorded history for Formula One. All right? It hit the two-hour time limit with only six drivers still going. So if you don't know F1 races, at the end of two hours, they just wave the checkered flag uh, two hours after green uh, it, it, because the races are, just aren't designed to be that long, right? Um, they're just uh, the distance or two hours, whichever comes first. Almost always the distance. Distance is designed to not exceed that. Except in Phoenix, where we exceeded two hours with six cars left. The main cause of failure, heat, takes a toll on the cars and drivers, turns out. No. Yep. Stop. Get out of here. Yeah, I know. I know. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, again, important lesson. Don't build street circuits in America unless your name is Long Beach. Okay? That's the only good one. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, here's a fun fact to wrap up the episode. All right? Is Ayrton Senna won in Phoenix? I believe he took two victories in Phoenix. To this day, there's an Ayrton Senna mural in downtown Phoenix on the side of a building that uh, looks towards where the track once was. 
Well, that's awesome. But I think you and I discussed this before where it wasn't because Ayrton was, you know, demon fast. It's because he just didn't die. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's why he won that race. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, I thought that through. That, you know, again, folks, it's, it's late. Yeah, it's about 11 o'clock. <laughs> And uh, the, the gallows humor is coming out of us right now. But hey, you oh, know. Oh, and it gets bad. We'll, <laughs> we'll do like a Patreon show at some point where yeah. Luke and I just start rapping about all the horrible jokes we make. <laughs> but you know what won't be in our jokes? The N word, Kyle Larson. Look at you, Kyle. <laughs> this is a surprise, anybody. It's, it's a Kyle. Come on. <laughs> Any Kyles that are listening that we've offended? Sorry, bud. Sorry, bud. Go just go slam a monster. <laughs> no, I'm just All right. I know. I know a couple guys. They're pretty, pretty good dudes. They don't even like monsters, if I'm being honest. But Kyle Larson probably, you know, probably does. Well, that's gonna wrap it up. We hope you enjoyed After Dark with the Formation app. We hope you enjoyed our worst episode ever. Uh, we'll be back next week. What are we gonna talk about? I don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but we'll be back next week. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. See you guys next week. Blue, blue.